Hello, and welcome to the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. Tonight is episode 28 of Complimentary Cinema. If you're new to the channel, Complimentary Cinema is a program where we review and discuss films you can watch for free that are available on YouTube. Please be warned, we discuss these films in detail. So consider this a full spoiler alert. So uh, this was uh, my week to pick, and it was a toss-up between... RoboCop 3 and Mothman. And we ended up flipping a coin and we picked Mothman. And I think we got about eight minutes into it and decided that RoboCop 3 would be a uh, more worthy uh, use of our time. Yes. It turned out Mothman was a very low budget, terrible production. Uh, Absolutely dreadful. So we ended up going with uh, RoboCop 3 from 1993, directed by uh, Frank Decker, and uh, very loosely based on something that Frank Miller uh, scribbled on a cocktail napkin at one point. And then written by Frank Fred Fra- Decker. Frank Decker and some other dude. So, uh, Fred, right. Fred Decker. Fred Decker. Fred Frank Fred, Miller, Fred Decker. Fred Decker with two Ks. Decker. For a double decking of that double K action. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with with any film that we uh that we review on this channel, it's gotta meet uh three criteria. Ken, what are our three criteria that we look for? Well, those would be whether it's well written, well acted, and well produced. I think that's a good basic uh, criteria for any film to uh, to meet. So the question is, is RoboCop 3 going to pass muster? We'll find out. So our uh, cast of characters for this lovely, lovely film, uh, replacing the f- wonderful and fantastic Peter Weller as RoboCop, we have Robert Burke uh, taking over the role of Alex Murphy slash RoboCop. We have Ramey Ryan as Nico Halloran. We have Bruce Locke as Atomo. Nancy Allen uh, reprising her role as Ann Lewis from the first two films. Uh, and then we also have Rip Torn as the CEO of OCP, Omni Consumer Products, the, uh, the big corporation that uh, features in this universe. We have uh, Mako as Kanemitsu. He's kind of the... Uh, Rip Torn uh, equivalent, but in Jap- in Japan, his uh, Japanese business partner. Uh, and then we have uh, Bradley Whitford as Jeff Lee, uh, Jeffrey Fleck. Uh, CCH Pounders in it. We have Daniel Von Bargen and uh, Stephen Root. And we also have Jill Hennessy as Dr. Hot Mama Pants Lazarus. And that's roughly your cast of characters for this film. Oh, yeah. And then there's like that other like big bad guy. What was his name? McDaggett. John Castle as Paul McDaggett. Yeah. That's kind of the the Nazi stormtrooper guy. He's the real villain of the film. So uh, give us a quick little... uh, Give us a synopsis, Ken. So this is a movie about um, the... There's the corporation is clearing out the slums and they're going to just literally 
chase the people out of their homes, knock down all the buildings, and build Delta City, which has been like since the first movie, you know, the the ultimate dream is to just com- completely tear everything down and start from scratch and build this amazing, big, glistening, ideal model city. And to do so, they have to round people up using uh, rehabilitation officers, also known as rehabs, which are basically, they look like they're space balls from the film of the same name. Just, you know, big round helmets, big round plastic helmets, bad uniforms. So there's a number of factions in this movie. Um, There's also a number of characters and... The, the list is pretty long here. So we have our rehabs. We have our resistance fighters. Resistance fighters, which are basically just neighborhood people who right. are tired of being pushed around. Yep. You've got your police officers. The the Detroit uh, Police Department. You've got your OCP corporation people. The bad, bad businessmen. And then you've got RoboCop. He really is his own category. So you have a whole, like each one of these is a group that's doing things. Oh, and then also the Japanese corporate people. The Japanese. Which is technically a separate thing. Very separate, but they're, they're kind of the, the puppet masters of all of this. Like, op, like So OCP owns the Detroit police. They own the rehabs. And it seems that the Japanese own OCP. Right. So they're all kind of pulling each other's strings there. Yeah, they made like a deal with the rehabs to like, you know, make it a cut, I guess, of the profits or something. I think my eyes were glazing over when that particular piece of information was relayed to us earlier in the film. But if, if any of the parts of the plot seem convoluted, it's because there are, with all of these groups, everything is very convoluted. So... Why don't we just cut to the chase on the on the script here? RoboCop comes, doesn't do very much, and then eventually the good guys win. Yes. Yes. Uh, so let's. Uh, uh, now I, I I have heard I have never no. Generally speaking, we have never seen the films that we talk about or review on this channel. Right. That's part of the fun of this. We get to see something new. We get, to, we get to talk about it with fresh eyes. Now, I knew a little bit about this film. Hmm. I knew that at some point, uh, Lewis, his partner from the first two films, I knew that at some point she got greased and that was the end of that. Hmm. I knew that at some point he was going to be flying around with a rocket pack. I also knew that there was a kid, a, a small child, say about 10 years of age, who plays a sizable role in the film. Those were the things I knew. And I also heard that this movie was absolutely god-awful. See, I went into this one completely blind. I've only ever seen the first movie. I love the first movie. I, I've owned it and watched it many times. And never felt like, you know, the sequels from that time just didn't, didn't necessarily measure up. And I just, for whatever reason, never watched the other two. The first film is an absolute brilliant piece of work. And it is a classic. It, it has aged incredibly well. And the script on that is wonderful. The acting is wonderful. It's perfectly cast. Music. The music is great. Uh, 
one of my favorite bands did the music for the nightclub scene in that film. Just saying, you know, they had some good people involved and Paul Verhoeven directed that one. He did Starship Troopers, Total Recall. That's a guy who can make movies. He also did Basic Instinct, if I'm, if I'm correct. Something a little bit out of his usual. Just a good filmmaker, right? RoboCop 2. I don't remember who directed that one, but it has you know a lot of the same cast from the first film. It has a lot of the same elements from the first film. And it's still a good film. It's still enjoyable. It's I've only seen that one once, but I liked it quite a bit. And then number three, which came out in 1993. This film was filmed in 91. And they had to sit on it for a couple of years. Now, when they filmed this in 91, the cartoon, the RoboCop cartoon was a big thing. Kenner had been making tons of action figures and all kinds of toys. There's a glow-in-the-dark RoboCop. Um, I have one of the original figures that has a little uh, cap-popping action that's built into the back. Back when everything just, you know, you could shoot caps. That was great. Point is, they really wanted to appeal to the kids with this film. So they have toned down the violence. They have toned down some of the social commentary. Not necessarily by today's standards, but for back then, absolutely. Uh, not as much blood. It's uh, they, they took something that was brilliant as rated R and made it PG, almost PG-13. I think the hard part with that too is they also dumbed it down. Like a lot of the elements are the same from the first movie as far as like, okay, big corporation, bad, you know, police force dysfunctional, you know, a lot of those kind of general beats are the same except dumber. They they don't hit, they're not timed as well. They don't hit as well. And the biggest mistake that they made was making this without Peter Weller. Right. Um, so I'm a fan of the uh, the Hellraiser movies, specifically the first couple films. And in that film, you have Doug Bradley, who plays what was originally known as the lead Cenobite, and then eventually was dubbed Pinhead. And the guy is covered head to toe in prosthetics and costumes and makeups. And in the first film, he only has a few lines anyway. Now, this is kind of a tangent, but when he first made that film, he had the, he had the option to either be a guy who was moving a bed and have a couple lines, or he could, you know, play this random character covered in makeup. And he almost went with the mover so that, Oh, you know, it's my first film. People should see my face. And he realizes, you know, he realized that he ended up making the right decision going with the, the big monster guy. And let me tell you, if they'd put anybody else in that suit, it wouldn't have been the same performance. And you have that exact same problem with RoboCop. Now, Robert Burke is a perfectly fine actor. He's in Thinner, one of my favorite horror films. He's done some other great stuff. He's a perfectly fine, competent actor. He absolutely sucked in this film. Hmm. He didn't have the gravitas. He didn't have the voice. He did not have the presence. Uh, never mind that they don't do anything with this character in this film anyway. This is the most fucking useless RoboCop possibly could have been. And then they don't even have the, the guy with the brass balls to fill the suit. They turn him into a bumbling idiot for most of this movie. 
like just not even he's not even competent he like can't move fast enough like yeah part of the first movie was he's kind of clunky but he's very competent you know when it comes time to like get the job done i feel <sighs> and like clever in a way where there was no cleverness in this you know not like not even calculating really it's just like he was confused the whole time it looked like he spent a lot of time just kind of reminiscing and thinking about things and not doing what needed to be done. And he kept showing up a day late and a dollar short. Which part of the original character is like, you know, he's in his head a lot. Yeah. But the part in his head is telling a story. Whereas in this, in this movie, all it does is tell the connection between like, he sees the little girl in the movie Mm -hmm. as a parallel to his family. Yes. And like the doctor lady is a parallel to his family. Yes. And that is like, it's not even character development though. It's like, oh, other people can be like my family, but that's not even like the story. No, it's just a random thing that they just kind of sprinkle like, in Oh, there. these people are good people. <sighs> my, my exasperated size is about all I can give you on that. You're absolutely correct. It's because here's the thing. The kid is likable enough. The kid's all right. The kid's fine. It's a kid. It's a kid who's good with computers. She's kind of, she's kind of like a you know the Wesley Crusher. She, she can just plug into things and just immediately make them work and yeah. and do crazy stuff. Or like the kid in Jurassic Park, like Unix. I know Unix. <laughs> or is it Linux? Unix? No, it's Unix. I guess, yeah, I, I guess Linux didn't exist then. Unix. I know this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this kid does the exact same thing, just plugging into an Ed two hundred nine and getting it to shoot cop cars and stuff. And it, it's cute. Whatever. This is kind of supposed to be set in the future anyway, so from 1993 standards, that would have been believable-ish. So, you know, and early on, I mean, you sympathize with that character. You sympathize with the Dr. Lazarus character. Absolutely. Because they're likable and everything on their own. I mean, the little girl's parents get separated from her and literally taken to internment camps where we later find that they've died. Yes. They were killed while they were trying to flee. Meanwhile, this is a uh, a very talented and not particularly annoying child. I mean, what more could you ask for? So it's not like you need RoboCop's insight to like these characters or to want want them to be protected and to be helped. And I think that's a big part of the problem is like, yeah, like we're on the kid's side from the beginning of the movie. Absolutely. That's why I think the beginning of the movie is actually part of the stronger part. Yes. When you first are, you know, meeting the insurgents, you know, when you're building up that beginning part, you feel like you're building towards something and you're just not sure what it is yet. And you never really get there. Like there's never any payoff for the little girl other than she's just technologically smart and helps them out of some jams. But in the end, she's still, her parents are still dead and she's, her, <laughs> her home has still been destroyed. It's like, yeah, she's friends with the doctor lady, but that's not really her mom. Like, like is now the doctor lady like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm taking care of you now. Like, uh, let's, let's get you back in the system. Yeah. And <laughs> RoboCop's going to be her surrogate dad. Exactly. So can, can you imagine RoboCop explaining the birds and the bees to oh, a child? No. Stay out of trouble. <laughs> I can see you through walls. Oh, man. So anyway, I think that's like from the beginning, 
I like it, all hope was not lost until like a little bit of time into the movie. I think when, um, when the the Alan the uh, his partner, what's her name? Anne. Anne Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. When she dies, that's really I think when this movie bottoms out, or it just that's it falls off the cliff. That's the big fork in the road for the film. Because up to that point, you're, you you kind of are really caring about what's going on, and you're invested. And then they kill Anne Lewis like, on the steps of a church. It wasn't good before that. Like it wasn't good. You were waiting for it to get good. But I just was like, okay, well, I'm giving it a chance. But after that point, like the chances were used up. It never got better after that point. Certainly. No. You know they killed off other strong characters as far as. Um, Whatever the other lady's name that I C-C-H don't know. C.C.H. Pounder. Yeah, her whatever character name. Bertha. Bertha. Yes. When they killed her off, that's like another like, all right, well, we ha- she was the important one. All the other people were just kind of background goons working for her or with her. Yeah. Yeah, they were fine, but like she was the only one doing any work out of them. She Well, she was the leader of them, and she was getting them to do things. And it was that whole scene, though, too. So, so, so C.C.H. Pounder's leading these rebels in an underground area and the rehab soldiers come in and just start killing everybody and they kill her. And it was just straight out of total recall where the Martian military just comes in and kills Kuwato and yeah. wipes them all out. Another Paul Ver- Verhoeven film. I feel like they just kind of, it just had too many of the same, too many of the same things going on. Her death scene too, where, she just flops over. It was the best death scene I've seen in a while. It's, and best isn't most hilarious. It's like if you were reading the script and just found out that you were going to die and you were kind of pissed off about it. You're like, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to flop over. Like it was comical. It's worth skipping. Just okay. It's worth looking up this film and just skipping straight to that section just to watch that. It's great. And there are several times that we were laughing out loud. It, it, at times where you should not have narratively because they just were, it just missed the mark. Well, so, so you have an action film that, that has its roots in fairly gritty, very cynical R rated film. And then you have the cartoon and then you make the film to a, appeal quote unquote to the kids. And you know, the first, so the first couple of films have a little bit of that black comedy edge to it. And this film incorporates more humor, but they don't ever know when and where to use it. It seems almost random when something's supposed to be funny and when something's supposed to be serious. And the majority of it is played straight. It's not even funny. Like, you know, like a lot of the scenes are just people talking where it's not really funny. But you're laughing anyway because it's so goddamn stupid. Yeah. And having Rip Torn in the uh, film as the, as the CEO of, of OCP, he is way at the top through most of his performance. It's very... His character in Men in Black was more straightforward and more more serious than this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. I mean, he, he, he played his role pretty serious or it was pretty silly in this film. It was very uneven too. Yes, it was. You know, it's hard to take him serious as a businessman or as a just kind of guy who 
is is a joke, you know. You couldn't take him either way. Yeah, you, you couldn't, and you never did, and you never knew how to feel about him. Yeah, he just yeah. And then you had uh, what was his name, Fleck? Yeah, he was the. Uh, oh man, what was that guy's name? Miguel Ferreira, Miguel Ferrer. He was the the young business guy in the first RoboCop mm. who pisses off uh, his his, his uh, older colleague and then he gets killed for it mm-hmm. so fleck he's the he's the new version of that guy he's supposed to have the same kind of schmarmy but still on top of things yeah but he never re- he, he never sells it either he's not around for long this, enough either the problem with okay so the problem with all of the the corporate guys other than the one guy from the first film who just always manages to survive and stick it out mm-hmm. all of the rest of them Okay, all of the white guy corporate guys in this film, all of them are schmucks. None of them are believable. None of them sell it to you. Mm-hmm. It's like they didn't have enough rehearsal time or something. Or, 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 really bad direction. Like if you really wanted to switch the script up, the thing for the third movie would have been to make the OCP guys the good guys. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it, that would have been the real way if you if like the way they flipped the script with other stuff. Well, it's like in the first film, a couple of the OCP guys are kind of the good guys. In the second film, they're really the bad guys. Well, the first the first film, it's more just like some of them have a conscience and they speak up about it. The corporation still never the good, never the good guys. Oh, never. On the other on the other, the other thing that bugs me about this film, so you have Sergeant Reed. So he, he, this, you know, he's in all three films. He's the leader of the Detroit police. He's incredibly uneven in this film. Yeah. He's either, he's either like, you know, the plucky hard ass cop who's going to do what's right no matter what. Or he's just not. Yeah. And you never know in this film, which one he's going to be in the first movie. He's more of like, doesn't take any crap. None. You know what I'm saying? Not, he doesn't take so much as a corn kernel yeah. of crap from anybody. He takes all of the crap in this movie, and he's like going around doing other people's menial jobs and stuff, and like, you know, no one listens to him, and like, except for the part where he stands up and people follow him out, like that's literally the only thing he does in this movie that's like in charge. And that's the only time that you see that character from that first film, either. Yeah. Otherwise, he's just the same guy in the same costume. It's, it's a it's a poor shadow of it's, the first. It's movie. not the bad motherfucker. Sergeant Reed that we got in the first film. Yeah. By far. Yeah. And it's a shame. So I think on a basic level, we can agree that this movie just doesn't exactly understand what it means to be a RoboCop movie. In addition to just missing the mark by trying to tone it down and make it a family movie, it also just completely misses the mark for the the right kind of humor, the right kind of violence. Because that's another thing. Um. A lot of the violence is pointless, ultimately. It's, you know, just to shoot up a car. Like, just to show something exploding. Like, it doesn't really advance the story in a meaningful way. The first explosion, I looked at the uh, the timestamp. It was, like, at 545. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, very early in the film, you have the first explosion. And uh, it's a fairly bloodless film, too. Yeah. You know, for a lot of people supposedly getting greased... You don't really see much blood. You don't see much gore. Part of that dumbing down and toning down. And 
we talked about this just after we watched the film about how any, whenever companies try to dumb things down for kids or make things kids friendly, I don't know how maybe kids are today, but I know what I was like when I was a kid and I know what kids a little bit younger than me were like and kids older than me. We wanted that cool, taboo, dangerous thing that we couldn't get our hands on. You wanted to watch the rated R movie because they swore a lot and because there were boobs and because there was swearing and just, you know, there was real adult stuff going on. That was the appeal of it. Now, I'm not saying kids should watch stuff like that, but that's part of the appeal of kids. You know, like every little eight-year-old, you know, swears and is always getting in trouble, at least when I was growing up. I don't know what kids are watching now with Disney. I mean, you know, maybe it's a more sanitized world, but especially in the early 90s, when things were extreme and radical and tubular and a little more adult. I mean, because they made... They made a cartoon based on a rated R film and they made toys for that. Terminator two came out in 91. Okay. I saw that in the theater. I was uh, eight or nine years old. I had the BioFlesh regenerator playset. I had some of the action figures. I had a whole bunch of trading cards. That was a rated R film. That was super violent and super action packed. And they made kids toys for it. They didn't need a cartoon. Yeah. They just straight up sold kid toys for rated R films back in the day. Yeah. They don't even make rated R films anymore. They, 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 Not like they, this. they, they exist on paper. Yeah. You barely ever get them and you certainly don't get them like RoboCop or, you know, Terminator two or aliens anymore. The good times. So just my advice, you want to appeal to kids. There are certain things you can tone down without having to throw another kid into it. Yeah. And without having to really dumb things down. You don't have to do that. So let's talk about the next big misstep that stands out really far in this film is the Asian faction itself. So this Japanese corporation has their own robot man that they send. To activate and send, to try, you know, clean up the problem. Atomo. And he's literally trying to find Robocop for the entire movie. They keep showing scenes of him, like, just tracking him down. And, like, we spend a lot of time with these, these little clips watching him do stuff. And then when he goes, he fights Robocop and first time he fights him it is a farce like he <laughs> could have killed robocop 10 times during this fight but instead he In- cuts off his fingers which are robotic and pointless his arm which is robotic and pointless and then he gets killed you forgot all the dancing and and twirling around that this that this samurai robot did and apparently his his samurai sword is so sharp that it can cut through whatever right whatever metal, metal yeah. that RoboCop is made out of. They established that earlier and then it, it doesn't pay off at all. No. And the the other incredibly irritating thing, this guy's just dancing around Robocop and kicking him over, 
and RoboCop, and this is a, a good just symbolism for the film itself. He's basically just on his back like an upturned turtle. Yeah. Just like, oh, I can't move. I can't get up. And then when he gets up slightly, he gets kicked down again. And he just, again, he's the turtle on its back. I've seen more enthusiasm and desire to, to fight from a cockroach on its back than I have from RoboCop in this film. Did they show RoboCop doing any feats of strength in this movie? Like, does he ever actually use the robo suit just to be a strong man? No. That doesn't even happen. No. He carries Lewis's body in the church when she dies. Right. And he's really good at getting shot and kicked over and pushed and at one point carried by a few regular people. I'm just saying a big part of the original appeal of RoboCop was that he was really strong. The appeal of RoboCop is that he's a bad motherfucker in this amazing suit and he's he's the ultimate transhuman cyborg. That's the appeal of RoboCop. What you get is you basically get a head on a stick that's looking around sad talking about family. Yeah. Who can't not get his ass kicked every single time you see him. There's just so many things that are wrong in this movie. If we had written them down and gone by them one by one, it would be as long as the film itself. It's so unfocused and all these, there's no synergy between any of it either. Like it's a pastiche of all of the great things that we liked from the first couple films. You get a without, taste without learning anything without learning from the other films. No, there's no, so yeah, exactly. So nothing, nothing new really transpires. It's still OCP. It's still Delta city is the dream. It's still RoboCop missing his, his family. That's long left him. There's no growth. There's no real arc for anybody in this. I mean, RoboCop does up upgrade to the hot doctor. So, I mean, that's something that is true, but Anne Lewis is pretty in the first film, but you could really tell she was kind of letting her go by this film and mom pants doctor was definitely pretty hot. That said, there was no real character arc for many of these characters. Yeah. And certainly not in this universe. Nothing, nothing new is revealed. So we, we, we see, you know, we see the, the, Oh, I'll buy that for a dollar guy. Yeah. We get a little taste of, you know, some of the, the cynical, funny TV stuff. Yeah. They had one, one commercial and two very short news segments. Yeah. Which we need a little bit more of, to be honest, in that film. I mean, they could have, there's so many times they could have been talking about the movements of the people in the city or like whatever it was. And I think that's just another opportunity. They could have had, this is the other thing. They could have had commercials for the Japanese corporation. Could have, would have, should have. No, here's the thing. Now this, because RoboCop 2 didn't do great, they cut the budget for this film. Right. What a perfect way to spice up the film and add a little more interest than to add more segments like that. Right. They would have cost almost nothing to yeah. make. Yeah. You know, how much does a, how much does a crappy TV commercial cost? Exactly. Not that much. Okay. You already have the new set. You already recorded a couple. Just knock out a couple more bits. Yeah. How, how hard would that have been? You know, it would have broken up the film a little bit. You could have also given exposition in a more interesting way 
than just dragging it out in these people talking scenes. See, I think the the way to fix the story is that the the uh, I want to say Nakamoto, but I know that's not right. <laughs> Nakamichi Plaza. Kanemisu. Kanemisu. Kana. Whatever the, the the Japanese corporation is, I hate saying that over and over. Hold on, let me let me see if I have it listed on here. I'm sure Ka- it's there. Kanemitsu. Kanemitsu. Yes. The the real story, the better story, would have been the OCP has lost the rights to Delta City, mm-hmm. and so this other corporation is coming in on their turf, and so OCP has a reason to work with RoboCop and the police force to stop it from happening. And that would have been a much more interesting and focused story because then there's, you know, there's a reason why there's this Asian robot guy. You could have had, and you could have had rehab working strictly for the Japanese. Exactly. And then you would have had real, real conflict there. See, but that would have been good writing though, Ken. I'm saying that's so basic. Like the fact that you can't, that they couldn't see that it's just a terrible idea to have like, like the police officers, even, even the heroic police officers, right? They, they, they all walk off the job and they go to defend the, 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 the rebels and, you know, their homes and all this stuff. Cadillac Heights neighborhood, yes. And then have the most pathetic standoff with the people fighting in and they have to have Robo- RoboCop come and save them. Like, they, them doing that and standing up with them ultimately did nothing. It, it didn't change anything. It just prolonged. They just got hit, hid behind some cars and got shot at until RoboCop and, came and saved everyone. And just blew people up. I. And that was like them walking out of the job was actually one of the stronger beats. That, that was a, that was a great scene. I like I liked it. I loved it. That's when we saw the Sergeant Reed that we knew from from the earlier films. Right. It was like, oh, there you are, you you bastard. Where have you been? And it then was it, like finally. And then it ultimately meant nothing. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> Not pretty but, much. So, 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 so here's but just to go just go back for a moment. So, so you have the Japanese corporation, you have rehab, and I'm going back to we don't ever really see anything new. So, we didn't. We could have seen a lot more with that Japanese company. Yeah. Now they had their synthetic person right in a tomo the equivalent of robocop in its way but what about ed 209 yeah they could have had their own giant mech that would have been pretty good that would have been good to see there's there's more stuff like that that they could have done for a little bit of world building and they could have made it more about corporate espionage too like they were getting the robotic stuff from them that would be great that would that would be a good story wouldn't it but let's talk about Ed 209 again for a moment. So yeah. the first time we see Ed 209, <laughs> he's not animated any better no. in, 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 in the first scene than he was in the first film. How tall would you say Ed 209 in RoboCop is, the original RoboCop? Now, no, so, so in the original RoboCop, we see him outside of OCP. Right. And we see him in the boardroom, and we see him in a stairwell. I know that we, we see him in those spots for sure. And I would say... 12 plus feet tall. Yes. Easily. It's a big machine. And he, he stretches. So, you know, he could be anywhere from like 12, yeah. maybe 15 feet when but, he's all stretched up there. Sure. Sure. I mean, it's not a, it's not a small. Everyone's looking up at it. Every, every, you look up at, 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 at 209. And when we first see him, he has that imposing. Okay. You see it, it, 
you know, the machine has that imposing uh, stature and they look up at it like, oh, God. But it's because they do it in view of him, view of the people reacting. Yes. He's not in the same shot with them. No. And then when they leave... So, and then the other, only other scene with someone next to it is the little girl. So it doesn't look out of scale to your brain right then because you only see the little girl and its legs. Just a close-up of the legs, right? So so, so, so when we first see Ed 209, this giant mech just full of guns, yeah. you see exactly what you... You get the impression of everything you just saw in the first film and you're like, yeah, Ed 209's awesome. Or, I mean, Ed 209... Like you know something cool is going to happen. You know something cool is going to happen and everything, right? So long story long story short, when that scene concludes and our, our good guy rebel people are driving away in a van, you see Ed 209 in the background and it looks like it's not maybe more than five, six feet tall. It's, the van that they're in is taller than it. Yes. It's... It is an absolute Spinal Tap Stonehenge moment. The prop is like half scale. It's not... I'd say third scale. Yeah. I mean, it should have been substantially bigger. Yeah. And it was comically undersized in that long, in that wide angle view. Mm. My God, that was, that was the first time I laughed when I wasn't supposed to. Yeah. The first of many. (laughs) That was the first of many unintentional laughter. But see, at that point we weren't, we weren't into any of the, like the setup was okay. You know? Yeah, the setup's fine. And you didn't know what to expect, where we were going. So it's like, okay, well, there's we could see the bad guys. We know who they are. We know who the good guys are. You know, we'll see where this goes. But that part, it just, it didn't go anywhere. It was just an excuse for them to gather some guns and uh, have Ed 209 shoot up a bunch of cop cars. So what they probably did, it was they took the animation from the first film which was done against a blue screen or whatever, and then just superimpose it on that scene just so that, A, we could have something familiar that we knew, you know, to establish that, ooh, you're watching a RoboCop movie. And then they just threw it into this scene. And then in the wide scene, they're like, oh, let's grab one of the one of the toys and just throw it, and throw it there. I don't know. It's just... Uh... So I want to talk about another thing I thought of, which is the lack of RoboCop himself callbacks to what he's known for, you know, as, as classic moves in the first movie. Sure. There are a number of wasted opportunities that are partly because of the, the rating toned down, but also just part of they just missed opportunities. So the first one is when he first shows up, he's in a car. We haven't seen him yet at all. And he drives off the top of a building for no reason because he doesn't land on anything. He doesn't knock anything over. The car just lands on the ground and he gets out. And he doesn't just get out. He attaches a gun to where his arm should be and then he shoots off the roof oh, no. of his car. I completely forgot and then that pops until up you said it. Out of the roof that he shot out. <sighs> that that's the first time that we actually see him in full light. And none of that was for tactical advantage. None. It was literally his own car. That he just ruined the roof of and ruined the whole car by dropping it off a building. Yes. For no purpose. None. Is RoboCop known for making poor tactical decisions? Not that I recall. If anything, he used his superior uh, mechanized intellect to make wise decisions when it came to to tactics and and criminal pursuit. So that's exhibit one. 
exhibit two that comes to mind immediately is there's two of the creeper re- rehab guys that are like creeping on a lady with yeah. some rapey vibes. And he does not take the opportunity to shoot both of them in the dick. So, so in the first film, just just want to remind everyone, Kenner made action figures for RoboCop. In the first film, RoboCop famously shoots a rapist or a potential rapist in the dick. I mean, there's a big blood squib and everything, and it's a it's a fantastic scene. Now, in this film, anybody who's seen the first film or the second film, anybody who knows RoboCop, they see this coming, and they're like, oh, God, he's going to shoot two guys in the dick. Like, have you ever seen a sequel movie where they didn't do it bigger every opportunity? Yeah. Like, on what the movie's known for. And so, so, Ken, what does he do in this scene? He he shot him and, and just knocked him through a window. Yeah. Just shot him in the chest. They're wearing armor, by the way. He could have shot two rehab guys in the dicks. And I would have cheered. I'm just saying. I would have knocked the fucking table over and cheered. That that alone would have redeemed this film just a, a bit. Because it's just like you, you want to see the guy do the thing. You want to see the guy do the thing. It's like he's known for saying, dead or alive, you're coming with me or, you know, whatever. You, you know, there's like little things you come to expect. So, oh. He's got the gun in the holster on his leg. Shooting rapist in the dick is, it's almost the equivalent to me of Arnold saying, I'll be back in a, in a Terminator film. Yeah. But he's kind of got that edge to him. Yeah, he's like a robot man. So part of it's just he's robotic. But part of it is like he's just really efficient and kind of clever in the the original robot. And ruthless in his way. Yeah. Because he has that that machine coldness to him blending with what's left of his humanity. And like the only parts in this movie that are kept are the part that he's weak when his robot side gets damaged. Like that's it. He's like, his energy level's low. Like uh, Efficiency level is at 23%. His, his He's, quote, struggling with the, the prime directives again. Because, you know, his, one of his directives is he can't fight a OCP officer. I don't, I don't remember exactly what they did in the second film. But I know in the second film, that's, an, that's a thing. Right. Where he has issues with his directives. It's, they keep giving him the same problems. Give him new problems yeah, to th- face. This one wasn't any different other than the fact that there was no secret directive. It was just, you know, he, he used his directive to justify defending just the public instead of doing what the police wanted him to do. Yeah. It's like, was that really an evolution? Was that really like another step forward? Another thing that they screwed up on. So in the in the first film, they make a big deal about how he twirls his gigantic gun. Oh, yeah. I, don't rec- I can't recall the single moment in the film and, where he spun his gun around. And he never puts it back either. He never puts it back, yeah. He he, t- he literally took it out to fight the sword guy, and the dude just cut it off, and like that's it. That was he it. never uses that gun again. Like what a waste! It could have been a pipe that he picked up, and that would have been this, as interesting. Like one of the coolest, most recognizable handguns in a film. Just it's thrown completely away. Completely wasted. This movie sucks. I mean, what can <laughs> what can I say about it? Um. So I think I think there is a good RoboCop three. Like the idea for a good RoboCop three exists. You could pick it out, yeah. I mean, you could. I don't know that you could cobble it together with what's there now. No, 
No. But if you took half the elements, rearranged a few things, added a couple of things we talked about, I think you'd have a good film. There's enough low-hanging fruit for an evolution movie for going another step bigger and beyond, like bigger and better. Yeah. That you would do with a sequel, and they don't pluck any of that. They, and while while the budget for this film was reduced, you know the costumes still look good. Okay, the sets for the most part are perfectly fine. It was filmed well. It's not like they really didn't maintain that that level of integrity with the film. If you just had a better story and had things make a little more sense and not dumb it down. And for God's sake, wait for Peter Weller to yeah. be free to star in the film. It's not even so. I was always under the impression that Peter Weller didn't want to do RoboCop three, and I found out that no, he was just doing another film at the time, and he wasn't available. So they made RoboCop without him. And he literally went to the director to say, "Oh no, I want to be RoboCop. I so want to this be is important to me." Yeah, and they just didn't wait for him. How do you not wait for RoboCop? It just underscores, like, they just... And that's just a corner they shouldn't have cut. Like, wouldn't the studio want that, too? I would think. Like, they brought everybody else back that was still alive, presumably. Yeah, you know, they wanted money. They wanted to make a check. They wanted to be attached to something that was, uh, you know, they were known for, that they were proud of. You could have even cut off half of the rest of the cast and made a better movie still and just brought him back. Yes, so. They should have just waited. Or if they were going to use a different guy for RoboCop, get, make him a different character. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It's not like OCP doesn't have the technology to make more than one suit. Yeah. Okay? What if there's another cop who gets killed in some other circumstance? And I joked okay. about, too, about making the little girl RoboCop. I think that, that could have been fun. <laughs> Child RoboCop. It's giving me nightmares thinking about it now. It was funny at the time, Ken, but now I'm traumatized. <laughs> it's like Robo Kindergarten Cop. Is there nothing left to talk about? Final summary and recommendation. I mean, I guess if you wanted, we could uh, we could talk about some of the other things, but... Shoot, what do you got? I mean, as far as just like the things we would normally say. Is it worth it? Well, I mean, it's like sound editing and stuff like that. Mm. Not really necessarily vital. We usually gloss over those anyway. So we have three primary criteria. So we have three primary criteria that we need to determine. I'm sure you we figured this out by now. But was this film well written? No. Was this film well acted? Only in part. It's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. Was it well produced? Uh, so, so so here's the thing here's the thing with, with this criteria in this particular case screenplay was shit yeah i think we can agree on that absolutely was it well acted i would say half the cast did really well and the other cast were really hammy and over the top mm-hmm. so that's a mixed bag so we're already at like 30 percent there now was it well produced costumes were good some of the effects were good the explosions are real this is you know they used very minimal computer animation in anything 
for the time and for the budget, it is well produced. Yeah, I would agree. So I mean, at best, it's competently filmed. I you mean, know, at at best, it's it it's at the fifty percent mark is what I would say. Yeah, because you have the makings of a of a good film here. Mm-hmm. You have, it's like somebody who's trying to make meatloaf for the first time. They have all the ingredients, but things aren't mixed the way that they should be. You didn't have the temperature of the oven quite right. Maybe you left things in there just a little too long, or did you take them out too early? Yeah. I mean, do we have like a soggy, undercooked meatloaf here? Yes. Yeah. Did we get all the trimmings that we expected? No. No, we didn't. Mm-mm. We, there's no crust. There's no crust. There's no... Uh, you, did, you, you didn't get enough ketchup to go with it. There's not enough vegetables. You don't have a main entree here. You just have, you just have some side dishes that are masquerading as a, as an entree can. And ultimately, very disappointing. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, I, and I told you this immediately afterward, and I actually still hold to this. It's not as bad as I was expecting. I was actually expecting a film that was even more kid friendly. I was expecting a film that. Uh, focused on the kid companion even more. Mm. That's really what my expectation was going into this. There was some swearing. The kid did not dominate the film like the kids do in, when they're in a film like this. Like Last Action Hero. And, you know, I love it. It's like it's a perfect film. But Terminator 2, John Connor, that kid, he's in the film the whole way through. But see, that's a perfect example, though. Of that would have made this movie better. If it had been more focused on the kid, I think it would have been better. It could have worked. I'm just saying. It could have worked. Even though I thought the kid was a little more annoying than you did, um, it would have given it more of a uh, the film focus. Doesn't, the film doesn't carry any weight. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. yeah. I can always say that I saw RoboCop 3. I mean, RoboCop 1, so... At the end of the day, he, he was the winner. And he got a new family along the way. Didn't he, though? And that's the true treasure. <laughs> so, ultimate recommendation for me is absolutely not. Please do not watch this film. That is my recommendation. I just, there's nothing. You Watch the first one. And just don't acknowledge, just like I was just a mere few hours ago, don't acknowledge this ever existed. Watch the first film. Uh, you you can get away with the second one, but it's not going to be the same caliber as the first one. But this one, definitely skip. And uh, that's a wrap for tonight's episode here at the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. If you enjoyed this segment of Complimentary Cinema... More episodes can be found at omstockroom.com, along with links to our Patreon page and various streaming outlets. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next Wednesday with an all-new episode.